Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. It occurred to me how it must make our Father's heart feel to know that we're singing a song recognizing who he is and how the father must be warmed to know that his children are really truly connecting and identifying with his heart. So thank you for worshiping in song with me today. I'm so just so thankful to be here. So glad that you are here. I heard a story about a famous violinist who was to perform at a concert hall of world renown. As he stood before that packed house that night and played his violin, He mesmerized the audience with his prowess and skill. As he lifted the bow off the string on his final note, the hall, of course, erupted with thunderous applause, and he, of course, was given a standing ovation. He looked at the crowd, though, for a moment, and then he walked off the stage only to be engaged with the crowd going crazy, yelling for an encore. So he came back to the amazement of the masses gathered that night, played his encore, but his encore performance was even more beautiful and flawless than even his primary performance. He looked to the audience and left the stage for a second time, but was beckoned back yet again by the deafening roar of the multitudes that once again stood to their feet in adulation. He gave yet another encore number, leaving the audience fumbling for words that could describe what their eyes and ears were experiencing. This sequence continued on several more times until finally the virtuoso of virtuosos finished his piece, looked to his audience, nodded his head, and simply walked off the stage with ferocious cheers that could still be long heard even after he had exited. Reporters gathered at the event outside the violinist's dressing room. They kind of pushed in on him. They were waiting to catch a word from the man who'd given the performance of a lifetime. As he emerged from that small room, one reporter asked him the question, Sir, why did you give so many encore performances. I mean, you could have stopped after the first one and everyone would have been amazed. The violinist stopped and he replied, for the very first time in my career, my master, the one who taught me to play the violin was in the audience. When I finished my performance, everyone stood except for him. I played again and everyone stood to applaud except for him. So I continued to play. And on the conclusion of the last encore, I looked to the seats and noticed that everyone, including my master, was standing and applauding. It was only then that I was satisfied that I had done a good job. You see, as followers of Christ, beloved, we have one master. We have one audience. We have only one that you and I are really trying to satisfy. For us, it's all about Jesus. Our lives are to be played out for His glory and His satisfaction. And when we make it all about Jesus, we really come to understand that it's really all about Jesus. This is the only way that we can truly know that we've lived a life worth living and can die a death worth dying. So how do we really do that? In other words, how do we make it all about Jesus? Well, last week, you know that we kind of dove into that and we saw that we can do that by just living for Jesus 
We talked about we had the precepts of Scripture, the prayers of the saints, we have the provision of the Spirit, the promise of the Savior, and yes, even the plan of the Sovereign. And if you want to know about anything that that was about, hey, just go on to Facebook, go onto our website, look at our social media platforms. No matter what you do, you can find it if you want to. But here's what we were kind of saying. Our sermon in a sentence was simply this. We said that in life and death, it's really just all about Jesus. So let's just kind of pick back up where we jumped in last week. In the book of Philippians, I'm going to be reading from verses 19 through 26 of chapter 1. So if you have a copy of God's Word, if you brought that hard copy with you, I'm so proud of you. If you brought a digital copy with you, that's great too. If you don't have a copy, there's one under the seat there in front of you or around that. If you'd rise to your feet as we read out of Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. Anybody excited about the Word of God today? All right. All right, I believe half of you. All right, it's, it's okay. We'll get you there, I promise. You ready? In Philippians chapter 1, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Verse 19 says this, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I'm to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I don't know which to choose. I'm hard-pressed from both directions. Having the desire to be with Christ, for that is very much better Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Would you pray with me, church? Oh, Jesus, again today, we gladly come into your presence. And somehow, way, God, I pray that we would realize just more and more of who you are and our hearts will be inclined to follow you and make it all about you all the days of our life. We ask your blessing now upon your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Here's, the, here's where we're headed today. Not only do we know if we can make it all about Jesus, we can live for Jesus, but here's something new today. We can labor for Jesus. We can labor for Jesus. Verse 22 says, Paul says, if I'm to live on in the flesh, if I'm to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Well, what is, what is it about our labor? What, what is really Paul talking about there? Well, first of all, we see this, that we work while in this present flesh. We work while in this present flesh. He says there, if I am to go on, if I'm to live on. You see, Paul realized, as you realize, that we only have one life, right? One chance to make it all about Jesus. If we're going to live on, Paul says, we should live on and labor for Jesus. Paul knows that really the truth of the matter is, is that you can only really work and labor for Jesus while you're in this flesh. You only get one shot, and you can only really do that through the power of the Holy Spirit, as he's mentioned earlier, and remaining in the Word of God and with the prayers of the saints, because it's the Word of God and the prayers of the saints and the power of the Holy Spirit that would direct you to the works that God has created for you before you were even born. The point is really here, what Paul is really trying to make is simply this. That you and I only get now to really labor for Jesus. So we work while in this present flesh, but why? That leads us to the second thing, and that is this. We work 
wanting to produce fruit. We work wanting to produce fruit. Paul says there in 22, he says, if I'm to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Paul says this will be fruitful labor. Fruitful labor is really the work of the Lord, which is the Holy Spirit. It's the only way the Holy Spirit's really going to bless things. Paul is not, of course, speaking of, listen carefully, he's not speaking of good works by which we can vainly hope to be redeemed, to, to be saved. All of our human efforts, all of our good works are powerless to save us, to make anybody right with God, to give us grace or anything of that fact. In fact, the Bible says this, that our good works, if we're hoping that they will make us right with God, actually only further contribute to the wrath God has against us because we deny Jesus Christ is the only satisfying thing that God will, will accept. Works are really the fruit of already being saved by Christ. They're the, they're the fruit. We work not to be saved, but we work because we are saved. Paul is speaking here of the Spirit-empowered, fruitful labor for which he says in Ephesians 2.10 that the good works which were prepared hands so that we would walk in them. He also says it is the fruit of God who is at work in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. We will see in Philippians chapter 2. You see, spirit and fruit encompasses the spirit-directed and spirit-empowered motives and its behavior built on the foundation of Jesus. It can be divided in a couple of categories. We have attitudinal fruit, if you will. That's the fruit of the spirit, things like peace and patience and kindness. And then we also have what? The action fruit that consists of righteous deeds that we do. This also, Paul would include later in, in Romans, he would talk about the fruit of seeing people saved. That's also a fruit that Paul's talking about. What we want to do is yield to the fruit of the Spirit, please the Father and bless others, and see really other people come to know Jesus. That's really what we're working for, Amen. I don't know if you know who Adoniram Judson is, but he was a great missionary. He's one of the first missionaries kind of out there. He graduated from college, though, in seminary, and he received a call to go to a fashionable church in Boston to become its assistant pastor. Everyone was congratulating him. His mother and his sister rejoiced that he could live at home and kind of do his life work around them, and, and, and it made Judson kind of shake his head. And he began to say, listen, Mom and, and sister, th this work is really that I'm supposed to do is not here. He said, I know that God is calling me across the seas. He said, to stay here, even to serve God in this ministry, I feel would only be partially obedient to the call, and I would never be happy only being partially obedient. Now, you need to know that it cost that an iron Justin. It cost him a great deal to go overseas. He went to the people in Burma, and while he was there, he lost his wife, and he lost his children. And he spent... Seven years there, creating an English uh, grammar and a Burmese grammar to help those guys understand the Bible. And he preached and he taught and he did that for seven years before we ever saw a single person come to know Christ. But can I tell you today, there are over 50,000 people in Burma that have come to know Christ because of, Burma, because of Judson's influence around the world. You see, Judson understood this that we can only work for Jesus and we can only do that while the here and now and that when we really get in on that, when we work while we're in this flesh and we work for fruitful labor, that really that then is the only way we make it all about Jesus. So I guess maybe the question is, is simply this. Are you working for a paycheck? Or are you really working for Jesus? Let me explain that. I wonder, do you know today that the reason you have a job is not to make money? 
The reason you have a job is so that you can be the missionary to the people that are around you, and God secondarily blesses you with the things you need to take care of your family. A lot of times we get that out of whack because we so disassociate work from the things of God. You are God's missionary wherever you're at to be what? Working in that field that is wide into the harvest. And as a result of that, God will take care of the things you need through giving you an income. Please don't get that reversed. Because if you do, then you begin to divide the holy from the secular. And as believers, we're to impact every part of the world with Jesus and every part of our life with Jesus. Amen? Like anybody can say amen to that? Or is it an oh me? I don't know. I'm just preaching today, all right? Hey, we can do this. We can work for Jesus. But if we're going to make it about Jesus, we work for him, we live for him. Here's a new thing. We can long for Jesus. We can long for Jesus. He says there in verse 22, in the latter part of that, he says, I do not know which to choose, but I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. And then he says this, for that is very much better. (laughs) I love that. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. See, Paul is called. He desires to be with Jesus, but yet he also desires to stick around with the Philippians. You see, when it's all about Jesus, you and I will see, too, that, first of all, we are presented with a difficult dilemma. We're presented with a difficult dilemma. Paul says there, I'm hard-pressed, and I don't know which to choose. That word know is a term that concerns revealing something that was previously unknown, whether by the Lord to men or by men to other men. Here's what you need to understand. Because the Lord hadn't made it known to Paul what he was to choose, he didn't know which to choose. He didn't know what the Lord's will was, and thus he wasn't sure what his own will was because he wanted his will to be the Lord's will. And it was a difficult dilemma. Should I go on to be with Jesus, or do I stick around and be with these Philippians? Now, what he's not saying is that he's not saying he was against God's will if God were to call him home. And he wasn't against God's will if he remained with the Philippians. He actually wanted to do both. And a lot of times, as we age sometimes, and we've got things going on in our lives, we're just saying, man, I I wish the Lord would take me so I could be with him in heaven. I don't want to ache. I don't want to be sick anymore. But yet, we also still want to be around our family. Amen? So you can appreciate Paul's dilemma. It's truly a win-win situation for the believer. Because to live means honoring Christ with fruitful labor, yet to die means that I possess Christ in the fullest sense. You see, here's what he says. He says, I am hard-pressed from both directions. That word hard-pressed literally means to hold together. It was often used of being hemmed in from both sides, like when walking through a narrow gorge. Luke used the same word to describe the multitude in Galilee who were pressing in on Jesus, and and he couldn't really get out of it. Thus, Paul says, hey, look, I feel like I'm, I'm hemmed in. I feel like this is kind of holding me in. And the Christian shares in this dilemma. You see, you and I know that this life is about being fruitful and having meaningful, joyful labor, but we also know that death is better. That's just it's a win-win. I mean, listen to me. It's kind of like asking me, hey, would you like a filet mignon or a ribeye? Yes. Yes. I don't know how to answer that question. No matter for Paul, it was all about Jesus. Either way, in life or death, it's about Jesus. So here we do. We struggle with this difficult dilemma while we're longing for Jesus. We we long to be with him, but we long to be with the people of God. It's a difficult dilemma, but also we do what? We're presented with a delightful desire. We're presented with a delightful desire because in verse 23, he says, but 
I have this desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Paul states his ultimate preference. Why did he prefer dying? Well, it meant being with Christ, and that was better. Now, Paul doesn't mention the desire for reward. He's only mentioning his desire for Christ himself, who is the believer's ultimate reward. Dying means for the believer more of a complete, close, and intimate relationship with Jesus, and that's what Paul desires. Listen, Paul explained that he had a desire to depart and be with Christ. That word depart, it means to unloose. It was used of nautical people in that day when they would see a boat that had been tied up and they would unloose that boat to set sail. Paul is saying that's what it is for the believer. We kind of unloose our hitching to this world and we set sail to be in God's presence. You see, death is like a boat and it can take you where you're intended to go. I remember a couple of years ago, about six years to be more precise, when my wife and I went on our 25th wedding anniversary we decided to go on a cruise because it took us 25 years to save up the money for that, if you can imagine that. But we wanted to go. And I remember, man, it was amazing. We got on the boat and it was starting to get a little bit dark. And so my wife and I found that place where every couple wants to find where there are no kids. So we went up and we found this hideaway place, man. And it was awesome because we just wanted to get away. And there we were on the back of that boat. And man, we were watching the sun set down over Miami. It was just amazing. We're just kind of pulling away, breathtakingly beautiful. Then the darkness kind of set in. We went to do some activities, you know, checking out the boat. It was awesome. And then check this out. We went to bed. And when we woke up the next morning, we stepped out on our little balcony. And there it was. The sun popped up over the horizon. And there was this beautiful Caribbean island. I mean, the sand was just amazingly white. The water was just so tropical blue. I wanted to jump off the boat, but they wouldn't let me. It was so amazing. But here's what I'm trying to tell you. The reason I tell you that is because that's exactly what death is like for the believer. We, we, we kind of hanging on here, and then the lights start to go just a little bit dim. We, we enjoyed the sun setting on us. And then we kind of close our eyes, but then we wake up, not in the presence of a Caribbean island, but of Jesus the Galilean, amen. And let me tell you something, you want to get off that boat as quick as you can to be in his presence, amen. We can long for Jesus. Listen to me, I need you to understand this. Paul knew death was better because look there, he says it's not just better, but he says it's very much better. Do y'all see that? I don't know if that's good grammar in English, but that's really good grammar in Greek because he says this. Paul uses a double comparative. He uses a double comparative. In other words, he's saying like it's good-gooder. You wouldn't say that in English. That's, that's best-bestest. You just wouldn't say that unless you're like Angie and you're from Arkansas or somewhere crazy. I don't know. East Texas or somewhere. I don't know. But anyway, you would say that, amen. But listen to me. Here's what I'm trying to say. This translates the only way you could say this to the uttermost part. Paul's saying, listen, this is very, 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 very much, 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 much good or good or good or good or best to be with Jesus. That's what he's saying there because he understands it. And as a believer, you know that. You long for Jesus, don't you, brothers and sisters? Do you long for His return? Do you long when this is all over and you can stand in His presence forever? Amen, I do. Are you longing to be with Him? Listen to me. If you don't long to be with Jesus today, my question is to you, why? I mean, why? I mean, this should encourage you and me like crazy. We can live for Jesus. We can labor for Jesus. We can long for Jesus. And isn't this appropriate? Here's the last thing. We can last for Jesus. We can last for Him. We can hang in there because Paul says in verse 24, he says this. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. 
He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that your confidence may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Now, Paul knew that being with Christ was better. And he wanted to live out his days for the sake of the church. But even though death is better, Paul decided to do what? Stick around for the sake of the Philippians. He doesn't tell us necessarily why he has such confidence that he's going to stick around as we talked about that. Maybe he realized that those Romans really weren't going to punish him and kill him. From a spiritual perspective, he kind of realized that, you know what? The Lord Jesus has necessary work for me to do. There's unfinished labors that I must do. There's, there's progress that I need to make, and there's other people that need to grow. So he's got to do these things before he can go to be with Christ. Paul says there in the text, he says, to remain on the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Here's what I'm learning from Paul. He was a man of great humility. Paul would gladly postpone his heavenly blessing for the sake of continuing on to serve the people of God. But Paul later, somewhere else, you know, he said this, listen to me, if I could give up my own salvation for the sake of others to know Christ, I would. I, I don't know that I'm there yet. I really don't know that I'm there yet. I really don't know, First Baptist, if I could honestly say here before you, I don't know that I would say I can put off heaven for your sake. I don't know. But I can tell you this, I want that to be my desire. I want that to be my desire. I want to know what it is like to put others that first in their lives. I want to know that kind of humility, don't you? Paul's telling me that people matter. The people of God matter. This tells me that, first of all, we press on so others can be helped in their faith. That's what Paul is telling us. We press on so that others can be helped in their faith. He says, I, I remain on for your progress in the faith. He's convinced that he needs to finish his earthly work. Paul says that I know, I'm convinced that I'm going to press on for your progress so that your confidence may abound in Jesus. Here's what Paul's really saying, and it may sound arrogant, but think about it. Paul says, I know that you Philippians still need me. It was not that he considered himself indispensable, but rather that he was convinced that his ministry to them was not complete. Paul was convinced that his church still needed his help and instruction and leadership. You see, as you read the book of Philippians, you're going to see some things. Despite the, their maturity, despite how they loved, despite how they were gentle, they needed to exemplify more of the Lord's humility, so he writes chapter 2. They needed to be on their guard against false teachers, so he writes chapter 3. They, they need to observe and follow Paul's example of how he dealt with the enemies of the cross in the latter part of chapter 3. At least two members in the congregation needed to learn from Paul about how to live in harmony with the Lord. So he writes chapter 4. And perhaps many were troubled by anxiety. Many people needed to learn to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication to present their requests to be known to God and the peace of God would guard their hearts. Maybe that's why he wrote the latter part of chapter 4. In addition to these things, they needed to keep their focus on continually whatever was true, whatever was honorable, whatever was right, whatever was pure, whatever was lovely, whatever was good repute. So he finishes chapter four because Paul saw that his ministry was necessary to the church and you and I can last and we can hang here at First Baptist. Why? Because we need to help as many people as we can in their faith. Amen. So listen, don't think about going anywhere. 
Don't think about giving it up. Don't think about choosing another church. You just stick around here because we got people who need you to help them in their faith. Amen. Paul says he hoped to remain and continue with them to promote their progress in the faith. Now, you know that word, we talked about it earlier in chapter 1. That word progress means the idea of advancing against obstacles. I didn't say sticking around here was going to be easy. There's going to be some obstacles in the way. But when you and I make it about Jesus and not about each other, then we can actually help make it about each other because we're making it about Jesus. Amen? That's what we need to do. Paul says this, this progress in the faith. And I want you to know, Paul realized that progress in the faith, when you put other people and their needs first, it's going to cost you just like it cost him, but it's always worth it. So I guess my question is, are you really helping? And do you see yourself as necessary to helping others in the faith? Brothers and sisters, you and I need each other. Can I tell you that I need you in my life? I need you. See, there's this fallacy out there, and I'm kind of going off script because I believe the anointing on me right now wants me to communicate this to you. Listen to me. Do you, do you understand there is a misnomer in the world? And you can call me heretic if you want to. Come talk to me later, though. There's a heresy that's in the world that says this, man, if all you got's Jesus, you've got all you need. For your salvation, Absolutely. For your salvation, there is none other than Jesus. That's all you need. But that happened at a time and point in your life. The rest of your entire life, you need other people for your sanctification. You don't need just Jesus. You need just Jesus to save you, but you need the body of the living God called his church. You need them for your sanctification until you get there. That's why God put us together in a thing called the church, because we need each other, brothers and sisters. We need each other. We so need each other. So are you helping others grow in their faith? You're necessary to somebody. Can I just tell you that? You matter to somebody else. Somebody else needs you. That's why we have these things called growth groups, right? That's why they matter. Because it's really about us getting together, doing life together, because we need one another. Amen? Y'all all right? Y'all about in a growth group? I don't want you to raise your hand, but, but man, I just wonder, could, could I challenge you? Listen to me. Get involved with a growth group. See Pastor Justin today if that language makes sense to you and you want to figure out what that's about. Some of you are saying, I don't need to grow anymore. We ain't talking about circumference, all right? Amen? We just talk, hey, if you want to grow that way, you'll find that there too in growth groups because we like to eat a lot in growth groups. The Baptist bird, man, chicken. That's what we do, all right? So anyway, we press on to help others in our faith. But then lastly, we press on so others can be happy in their faith. Not just to be helped, but they can be happy. Because Paul says there, look, he says, on, I press on, convinced of this, that I will remain and continue for your progress and joy in the faith. What a wonderful thing to think about ministry this way. I'm striving so that others may rejoice in all that is theirs in Christ. That's what I'm doing, man. I'm helping you, and you're helping me realize all that we have in Jesus. And when we realize that, good night, man. We are some happy people. Listen to you think about living daily for the benefit of others' progress and increase of their joy. That is another way you and I make much of Jesus. So am I pressing and progressing for the sake of others in their faith and in their joy? Progress and joy go together like Steve and Rachel. You can't have one without the other, amen. If I'm growing in my faith, the natural byproduct of that is I have joy. Amen. 
So when you see somebody who doesn't have a lot of joy, guess what you can conclude? They're not really growing. Well, then do you criticize them and do you say, well, if you really love Jesus, you'd be growing? No, guess what you do? You go help them. And you get in the boat with them and you say, man, I need you and you need me. Let's grow together so that we can be joyful together. Amen. Paul says, so that. He says, we do all this so that. Did you see that? Verse 26. So that. So that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus. He says, so that what, Paul? Paul's continuing to serve the Philippian church would be for the purpose of causing their proud confidence in him to abound in Jesus Christ through his coming again. Now, you need to understand, I'm not trying to impress you. I'm just trying to teach you the Bible. Listen to me. In the Greek text, the phrase in Christ Jesus precedes the phrase in me. In other words, what I'm trying to tell you is this. Here's maybe how it would be better rendered. In order that your proud confidence may abound in Christ Jesus as he is seen in me. In the Greek, Paul's making it that their confidence would abound in Jesus and not in him. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know in chapter 3, he makes it clear that despite his impeccable religious credentials in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this. He says, whatever things were gained to me, those things that I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, I could teach you what that word really is, but it'd get me in trouble. I count them all dung is what he says, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. He then goes on to say this, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which for Christ has laid hold of me, brethren. I do not regard myself of having laid hold of it yet. So Paul says, guess what? I'm lasting. I'm lasting to help you, and I'm lasting to make you happy in your faith. So listen, am I pressing on, and are you pressing on so that others may boast in Jesus? The ultimate purpose of Paul's reunion with the Philippians had to do with their growing and their confidence in Christ. Through his ministry, he wants them to make much of Jesus. So put this all together. What's life really about? It's about fruitful work. What does that mean? It means doing my part. It means helping people grow in their faith. It means helping people have more joy in Jesus. It means ministering so that others glorify Jesus more and more. That's why Paul wanted to stick around a little longer. He was willing to postpone what? His temporary, ultimate joy for the sake of serving Others. Someone once said this, and I like this. It's kind of interesting. They said, postage stamps are getting more and more expensive. You agree with that? I agree with that. But at least they have one attribute that most of us could copy. Postage stamps stick to one thing until they get there. I like that. They stick with one thing until they get there. Can I just challenge you today to be like a postage stamp and stick around here until we get there? Would you just stay in it with us? Would you just keep fighting the fight with us until we get there? Because we're going to get there, amen. We're going to get there. This church is going to get there. Whether you realize that, we're going to get there. We're going to finish that building over there, amen. We're going to finish that building, amen. We're going to do it by faith. Listen to me. Hey, next weekend, a couple weekends, when Trunker Street shows up here, we're going to have so many people here, the newspaper's not going to even know what to do with it. You believe that? I believe that, amen. Boys and girls are going to come to know Jesus because what? We're sticking together because what? We're going to get there eventually, amen. I remember reading this story about a 36-year-old mother. This 36-year-old mother discovered that she was in the advanced stages of terminal cancer. 
One doctor advised her to spend her remaining days on vacation. A second physician offered her the hope of living two more years with the grueling effects of radiation. So she penned these words to her three small children. She said, listen, my beloved children, I've chosen to try to survive for you. Now, this has some horrible costs, including pain, the loss of my sense of humor and moods I will not be able to control. But I must try this, if only at the outside chance that I might live one minute longer. And that minute could be the one minute you might need me when nobody else will do. And for this reason, I will fight both tooth and nail for you. So help me, God. Think about that. See, as believers, you and I can last for others. Because it might be in that one moment that they need you when nobody else can do. We can endure persecution. We can endure being put in prison. We can endure being rejected by family and friends. We can last for Jesus and those in Jesus. Life and death, it's all about Jesus. I can live for Jesus, I can labor for Jesus, I can long for Jesus, and I can last for Jesus. I wonder if Jeremy and the team would come. So maybe as we're kind of thinking about this today, I really want you to think deeply. Last time we said, hey, for me to live is, and we had you fill in the blank. You remember that? I wonder today, right now in this room, maybe if you would honestly answer this inside your heart of hearts. It's just a question. It's like a checkup from the neck up, okay? Listen to me. I've been really wrestling with this this week in my own life because I really don't know that I can give you a completely honest answer. But here's the question that's been ruminating in my brain is this. If someone would describe my life, what would they really say my life is all about? Think about that. If someone would really ask you and they would describe your life, if I walked up to somebody who knew you really well and I said, hey, What's your life really all about? Let me tell you what I think it is. Would they say, man, your life is really just all about Jesus? Because I think that's the goal, isn't it? I think that's the goal. I think that's what we're encouraged to do is that we live in such a way that there's just no doubt that our life is just all about Jesus. Let me help you, brothers and sisters. What God's doing in my life and what he's challenging me to do is, is I've got to make every conversation somehow about Jesus. I've got to talk of him as often as I talk about my own family. I've got to have conversations with people and I've got to share with people as if Jesus really is real and living and, and, and active in my life. God is pressing in on this pastor's heart about my desire to reach lostness told you a couple weeks ago to hold me accountable. Listen, I still have yet to have a chance to talk to my two neighbors, but I am trying. I got sick for a week and a half, and then my neighbors decided to go on vacation. I can't control that. It's like when I make a determination to go share, they leave town. That's just, that's just the way it goes. But I have been able to share Christ with two other people since that time in different places because I'm realizing it's just got to be about Jesus. Amen. I wonder where you're at today. Is your life really about it? I mean, if, if we're going to your, your funeral and we're given a eulogy, what would we say you really lived for? 
What would we say you died for? Because guys, the ultimate answer has to be, it just has to be all about Jesus. Not because this is some like command thing that, that just kind of like God just like, it's got to be about Jesus. Or, no, because listen to me, here's what ultimate joy is. God wants us to be all about Jesus because he knows that will bring us the greatest joy and his greatest glory. And he's about satisfying his beloved children. Amen. That's where true joy is. You see, listen to me. If you're within the sound of my voice today, maybe you're on the radio, maybe you're at home there, maybe you're in your living room. I don't know. Maybe you're driving in your car, wherever you're at. Maybe you're seated right here. Can I tell you something? Listen to my, my heart just for a minute. You've got to hear these words. Paul met Jesus. And Jesus completely changed his life. Listen to me. Listen very carefully. Paul was previously a very religious person. But he did not know Jesus. You can be an extremely devout religious person and not know Jesus. But what happened was, is Paul traded religion for the righteousness of Jesus. And he found out that Jesus gives new life that doesn't require the religious demands. Jesus gives us the grace we need. And he frees us from what religion tries to keep us captive to. And listen to me, I need you to know today that consequently, everything else in Paul's life was inferior to now the greatness of knowing Christ. So listen to me, I want to ask you this question this morning. Can you honestly say that you have been truly born again? I'm not asking you, have you prayed a prayer? I'm not asking if you went to a confessional. I'm not asking if you've been baptized. I'm not asking you, well, I kind of grew up in the church and man, I've been believing Jesus all my life. Have you truly ever experienced what it means to be born again? Have you passed from what? Death and the life. Was there a point in time in your life when God said to you, you are forgiven because you trusted Jesus. You made a conscious decision from your heart to choose Jesus. It's not about being faithful to a religion. Do you know for sure today that you have been born again? Have you crossed over the line? Do you know that? Because what I find in church life is so many people think they have Jesus and they try to live this life and it's just really all a facade and it's just a bunch of religion and it really doesn't change their life. And I'm asking you today, do you know for sure if you were to take your last breath, you would stand in the presence of Jesus because you've trusted Jesus and Jesus alone? If not, today is a great day to make it all about Jesus. Today is a great day to say, I need to know that I can be born again. I need to know today that I am right with God. If that's your desire, I'm going to give you a chance in just a moment. So I wonder if you would just kind of maybe rise to your feet right now as we begin to call upon God. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray, and then they're going to sing. And then I want you just to listen to what the Spirit's telling you to do. If you need to come forward down here and grab a hold of me and some of the other men and women that will be down here in the front and say, man, I need Jesus, we'll tell you about that. Maybe it is you just say, man, I just need to get busy, man. I just need to pray for my friends. I just need more of Jesus. And you just want to worship him right there. I don't know. Maybe you've got some health concerns and you just want to come and ask us to pray. Maybe you want to find out more about our church. I don't really know what you need to do, but I'm going to pray. and we're going to let Jesus do what he always does. And that's draw people to himself. 
So let's pray right now. Father, in your precious name, I pray that your Holy Spirit would go to and fro. God, you would search us all out. And if any of us haven't found our way into the everlasting arms of Jesus, that we would come home running to Jesus who saves. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And Jesus, just reorientate my life, even in these moments, to live and to be all about you, to make it just all about you, God. I need you. I need my friends. I need my family in this church. And God, I pray today that you'd minister to our hearts. And I pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We're going to sing.